to communion. We've got the offering baskets. Um, since January, we've been using, uh, kind of um, challenging you to kind of wake up with this phrase, with this verse on your heart. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Because of our special guest today, I am rejoicing in a whole different way. Um, <laughs> hey, could we give just a warm South Sub welcome to Pastor Keith Smith? Um, Good morning. Listen, can I just say it? This is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. I think I may be more glad I'm here than you're glad I'm here, okay? So it is good, good to be here today. Um, I do want to take just a moment to introduce my wife. She's right over there. Her name is Denise. That's the better half of me. So would you please refrain from any kind of judgment of me until you meet her, okay? Your ideas and thoughts will be so much better when you, once you meet her. Somebody asked me, said, how did y'all meet? So we met on a blind date. I was actually paying off a debt, and that's why I took her on a blind date. Her brother-in-law um, was a musician at churches, went around doing music for youth groups, and I was a student pastor at that time. Denise had just became a follower of Jesus, just accepted Christ in her heart, and so he was trying to set her up and, and meet Christian guys. So after doing this music at my church, I asked him, how much do I owe him? He said, listen, just take my sister-in-law out, and we'll call it even. I say to this day, I should have paid him 50 bucks, and I'd come out a whole lot cheaper. But Denise will remind me, not near as happy. So um, we, we had an interesting just dating. We dated three months, and then we got engaged. I mean, it was like really love at first sight. She blew me away. I'm like, this is who I want to marry. So we dated three months, got married. And I remember when we got married, the, the tension. Remember on your, on your, at the actual ceremony, just on the tension going on there? And I remember, I was thinking back this week, we may even have a picture of those young couple back there a long time ago, 30 years ago, they got married. But I remember standing at the altar, and I felt this tension, and it was twofold. On one side, I was scared to death going, what choice am I making? I don't know what the future holds. So there was this, the fear on this side, but the other side of me that added this tension was the surety of the moment. Like, I didn't know what the next day, the next month, the next years looked like living with Denise, but I was sure this is who God brought me for my life. And so that tension came together. Now, I have to be honest with you. I feel some of that same tension right now, okay? <laughs> because here's, here's the deal. We have got to know each other, many of you, over the last few weeks with the search team the last couple of months, and it's been amazing. But there's tomorrow. And sometimes, kind of like dating, you know, you put all the pretty face on when you date, and then you marry them, and go, oh, is that what you really look like when they wake up in the morning, right? Kind of the pretty face and the ugly face. But there will be days that I don't know what the future holds, and you're probably feeling the same thing as well. But the tension that balances that is the surety of the moment that God has at, the, at this place. And I think back to my relationship, my marriage for 30 years with Denise, I would have hate that I got at that altar and allowed the unknownness to scare me off. I had to stand in the surety of the moment going, and this is what God has for me. And so as I stand before you right now, I am just glad that God has us at this moment right here. And I also think back to that wedding, I was also nervous, nervous because there were two words that I had to say that everybody was waiting on, I do. And like, I've got to say them right. I've got to say them correctly. I've got to use that, you know, all that. I'm feeling the same thing right now. Only I wish I only had to give you two words. It'd be a lot easier than right now, but I got to preach for you, right? I got a whole lot more words to give you. And this past week when I was preparing the message and just going, God, what do you have me to say? Here's what I found myself. Now I'm going to be really honest here. There was this moment that I was working and striving so hard for this message to be good. 
because I want to impress you. You're going to vote afterwards. I hope you vote yes, right? And, and, and so I was like, it's got to be good. And I'm thinking, what Greek do I use? What the, theological issues do I talk about? And I'm putting all this in there. And all of a sudden, I began feeling this tension going, this is not what I'm supposed to do today. I am supposed to be a good steward of the gifts that God's given me. But God never called me to impress you. And I hope you're not waiting for me to impress you. Here's what I hope, that we're simply here today just wanting to hear a word from God. Because we will leave here much better people hearing a word from God than some kind of like impression thing that we're trying to do here. And so if you'll allow me over the next 25 or 30 minutes, can we just, in God's word, meet God together? Um, when I walk out of here, here's what I hope and pray. It's like John the Baptist, that I must become less and less, and he must become more and more. I hope you leave here to go, I mean, I can't even remember the guy's name, but I remember what God taught me from that guy, and that would be a good Sunday. So will you pray with me as I just invite God just to be with us? Lord Jesus, you are here. I don't have to invite you. You are here. You've been here. We, we, you say this in your word, where two or more are gathered, we, you will be surely in the midst. And so we thank you. We worship you because you're here. And I pray this, God, as we open your word, would you give me the right words to say? Not my words, but your words. I pray for those that are listening, would you give them ears? But more than ears, would you give them hearts to hear? And God, we pray this together as a church, that you will speak to us, that you will change us, and that we will leave here better because we heard from you than before we came. And if that happens, it will be a great day. And that's what we pray. And we pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. The passage that I want to take you to today is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Let me tell you why I chose this passage. It's my favorite passage. It's my life verse. It's a prayer that Paul prays, and for many, many years of my life, it has been my personal prayer. But here's what's been so affirming and encouraging to me. This past couple of weeks, as I've been praying for you guys in this message, it has become in my heart my prayer for South Sub Church. That the very words that Paul admonishes, the very words that Paul encourages, that is used to spur me on in my own walk with Jesus. Here's what I hope and pray, that today it will become your words, that God will use it to inspire you as well. And so in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in 14, here's what the Apostle Paul wrote to that church in Ephesus. He said, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. The Bible says this, that he kneels before the Father. Back in those days, much like today, kneeling was not a common practice of prayer. Now, they would do it sometimes, but they would normally just stand like we would stand and pray. And so what you're finding here as Paul begins his prayer for these people, and really the prayer for us as well, is that there is an emotion, there is a heart, there is this soulfulness, soulfulness in Paul. He's going, I'm not just saying these words over you, like everything I'm saying to you is coming out of me. And he's praying for them because he wants them to have everything that God has in store for them. You see, if you read the first couple of chapters of Ephesians, chapter 1 and 2, really what Paul does there, he is talking about just in their own life that the things that God has made them, that God has set them up, and that he has just, he has created them, he's identified them. He says, I called you for a purpose. He says this, that he's identified them as adopted. And so he goes, this is who you are in Christ in those first couple of chapters. But as as he gets to chapter 3, he says, this is who you were and this is who you are in Christ, but let me tell you now what you have in Christ. Because he identified the church of Ephesus, they had all of God because they were followers, they were saints of Jesus, but yet there was parts of God they hadn't tapped into yet. 
I don't know about you, but we have a microwave at our house. It has, it seems like 30 or 40 different buttons on there. I can heat meat. I can heat cooked bread. I can preheat. I can defrost. There's all these buttons. You know how many buttons I've used in my entire life of having that, uh, that microwave oven? One. Give me one minute to boil my water. And that's all I use it for. Yet I'm looking at this microwave and it has more ability in this microwave than I could ever think to use in my lifetime. And I think that's what Paul was trying to do here as he prays his prayer over them. He's going, listen, you've got God right here in your life. But there is so much more of God that you have in access. There's more buttons that you can push. There's more things about God. There's more characteristics of who he is. He says, I just want you to get all of it. And so he begins to pray, and he specifically has two specific prayers for them. And in verse 16, he says the first prayer, and here's what he says. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through your spirit and your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. If you've got your notes and you're taking notes, here's the first fill-in. It says this, Paul prays for spiritual strength. Paul prays for spiritual strength. Think back in your life. When's the first time that you imagine being strong, having this strength, this power? Mine was by turning on the TV and watching my favorite TV show growing up, Superman. Now, I would look at him. He could jump over the buildings. He could fly. He could do all these things. I wanted the power of Superman, and there was one way for me to get that power. You know what it was? I'd go in the closet in the bathroom. I'd get one of the bath towels, get a safety pin, tie that thing around my neck, have my mom put the safety pin attached it. As long as I had that cape, I had the power of Superman. I could jump off the, the, the top bunk. I could get on my bike and jump over ramps. I mean, I had the strength and the power. And I think back going, that was just the beginning of me wanting strength and power. We all want strength and power to either be something more or to do something more. Think about it this way. Think about bosses. They have the power, don't they? Think about teachers. They have the power. As parents, we have power. Politicians have power. Everybody wants some kind of power and strength in their life. But the problem with power in most of our life is once we have that power, once we have that strength over people, we use it for our own good and not for the good of others. Right? I mean, don't you wish the politicians that we vote for would think about you after they're elected as much as they're thinking about you before they're elected? Because it seems like they get in the office and they're more about having control and the power than doing good for the constituents. I think about bosses. We've all had that one boss that you just couldn't stand to work for because it's almost like they lorded over you with their authority simply to make themselves look better. I think about teachers that I've had that, that have not enjoyed in sitting under their, their teaching because it felt like it's just like just a, a hand over you just going, I'm pressing this in you, and they're just that authority. I'm thinking about police officers sometimes that we unfortunately read about in the news. Even pastors sometimes will take power and not use it for the benefit of the church and the glory of God, and they will use it for their own selves. But the, the power and the strength that Paul prays for the Ephesians and prays for us as well is not about something so we can be better. In fact, he clarifies in his prayer why he wants the Ephesians, why he wants us to have this power. And he says this, he wants it so that God gets all of us. That's your second feeling if you want to write that in there. God prays for spiritual strength so that God gets all of us. Let me read verse 17 to you. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. That's what we've talked about through his spirit and your inner being so that, so here's the reason, so that 
Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He wanted them to have the spiritual strength so that God gets all of them. Now, he said, dwells in your hearts. There's a couple of words in the Greek that Paul could have used at this word dwell. There was one word that he could have used that that means a temporary residence. If you go to a hotel, that you would dwell temporarily in that hotel. If you go stay with family or friends, you might stay two or three days and you dwell temporarily. That was one of the type of words, the Greek words, that Paul could have used. Now, he didn't use that word, but here's why he didn't use that word. Because dwelling temporarily sounds really good for a short season, but it gets really old, doesn't it? We went to stay with some friends of ours, Denise and I, a few weeks ago in Florida, and we got there, and they were so happy to have us. They said, y'all, come on, here's your bedroom you're going to stay in. Hey, I've got some space in the closet for you. And they had all their clothes in there, and they left about six inches in case we wanted to hang something. They said, oh, here's a drawer you can put your stuff in, and it was one teeny tiny dresser drawer that we could put in. Hey, and if y'all need anything to eat, let us know, because we'll get it for you. If you need anything to drink, let us know, we'll get it for you. We were guests in their house. We were dwelling in their house, but we weren't comfortable in their house. Now, we love them. We love the relationship. We enjoyed the friendship, the time we were there. But you know what I want to do? I want to go in there and kick my shoes off and put my feet on the coffee table and pick any show that I wanted to watch on the TV. That would have felt like home. I wanted to go in the refrigerator and get anything I wanted to eat whenever I wanted to eat. That would have felt like home. I wanted five drawers to put my stuff in. I wanted the full. You, you follow me right now? So Paul used a word that did not mean permanently dwell. It meant temporarily dwell. Or he, he did not use the temporary dwell word. Instead, he used the other Greek word, and it meant permanently dwell. He says, Ephesians, I pray that God would dwell in you permanently. Now, you know why he chose that word? Because he wanted that deep relationship that you feel when you dwell with somebody permanently. Like, how much better would it have felt if I went to my friend's house and they said, anything in the house is yours. You want that closet? Go ahead and take that closet. You want that drawer? You take that closet. Hey, if you want to go in the garage and go through our stuff, you can go through that stuff. Because that would have meant that was my home. We were there permanently together. And here's what Paul's doing as he prays. He prays that Jesus would dwell in mine and your life permanently. Now, there's a hidden catch to this. When Christ dwells in our house, in our life, in our heart permanently, guess what he gets access to? Every drawer, every closet, every nook and cranny, everything that we've swept under the rug for our entire life, the things that we don't want people to see, or even the things that we don't want to deal with, Jesus has access to. You know that broken relationship that you've never reconciled? Jesus says, I want to live with you so intimately. I want to live with you so deeply that that relationship that you've not reconciled, that you say that doesn't bother you because you've pushed it out of your mind and you swept it under the rug, I want to bring it up because there is still a relationship there to be found in that. You know those habits? Those habits you've dealt with for years and years and years that you're kind of like, even quit praying that God would help you break because you've tried to break them so many times you just feel like you can't. So you just kind of like stick it in the junk drawer. God's going, I want to dwell in your life so permanently in your heart, in your home, that I will open up your junk drawer and we'll deal with those habits. We'll deal with those hangups. You know that entangling sin that Hebrews chapter 12 talks about? He says, let's deal with those. Let me live so intimately with you. Let me live so deeply with you that you and I can work on these things together, that we can identify them together, that we can just access them together. And that way we can make this better in your life. Now, that's scary. Because I got news for you. I'm going to invite you to my house one day. You can't go to my closet. 
You can open my junk drawer. That's my stuff. I want to keep it hidden because you'll think a whole lot better of me if you don't see in my junk drawer and all my closets. But here's what Paul says. I pray that you would have the strength to do it. It's not so much I don't want you in my junk drawer. I don't want to get in my junk drawer. Because when I open my junk drawer, it's hard. Because there really is stuff in there that I should have got ridden of years ago. And Paul says, I pray that you know Jesus so deeply that he's a part of your life. He dwells with you so permanently every single day, every single moment of your life. I pray that he dwells so deeply and long term with you that you would allow him not to come in and shake his finger at you, to come inside of you, to come to you and hold you and say, we will work on this together. Jesus never says, I will push you back because of what's in your closet. He says, I will draw you close to me and love you in spite of what's in your closet. I will love you in spite of what's in your drawer. That's the deep relationship. And as I think about my Savior, as I think about Jesus, do I want somebody, a Savior, that I'm like, hey, can I just see you on Monday? You know, I have this Bible study, Jesus. Can we go to that together, just temporarily live together, dwell together? And maybe on Sunday, show back up. But when I go to work, Jesus, I'd prefer you not to go to work with me because you may not like who I am at work. And I know that you probably want to be in my relationship with my wife or my husband more. And, but really, God, that's just, I, I don't, no, let's not do that. And what Paul prays is, I pray that Jesus dwells with you so deeply. He's in every bit of your life. So that was his first prayer. But he didn't stop there. He had another prayer as well. And he prayed that in verse 17. And here's what he said. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, you may have power together with all of God's people, all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. If you circle things in your Bible, that is a great little phrase to circle. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. And then he goes on to say that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. What Paul is saying is, I want you to know Jesus in a way. I want you to have head knowledge. I want you to know the stories of the scripture. I want you to know theological truths. I want you to have that. But if it's just that only, you're missing part of who God is. He goes, I want you to have the spiritual knowledge and the experience. So if you're filling in the blanks, Paul prays for spiritual knowledge and experience. You know, there's things in a lot that just automatically go together. They're just better together, right? Salt and pepper, they're better together. Peanut butter and jelly, it's better together. Batman and Robin is always better together. Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos, well, we'll wait on that one, okay? Let's give it one more season to see if those are always better together. But there are things that just so much go together better. And what Paul is praying, he says, I want you to have this thing. Not one thing, but two things. Not either or, but both and. I want you to have the experience of knowing Jesus, to know him, but I want you to have the knowledge also. See, there's a danger when we only possess knowledge of God and we don't capitalize and we don't take advantage of the experience of Jesus. When we only have the knowledge, there is a tendency for us to have arrogant pride. I know more than you, so I'm better than you. It's just a temptation. Now, the other side is true, too. If we lean towards pure, pure experience of Jesus, of just, oh, I know Jesus. He's my friend. He's my, he's my best friend. But we don't have the knowledge and the, and the biblical stance and the biblical values and, and the biblical just, just issues that we need to know about. There's a danger of that as well. 
if we have only experience with limited knowledge, many times we have emotional reaction. And we, have, we say this, I have to feel it to believe it. In reality, we need both. We need the experience and we need the spiritual knowledge. Now, just like he did in his first prayer, Paul goes, let me, let me go on a little bit further. Let me tell you um, why I want you to have this. It's not just these two things that I want you to have. There's a reason behind it. And he says this, so that the spiritual knowledge and the experience, I want you to have it so that we get all of God. If you're filling in your blanks, you can write that one down. So that we get all of God. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19. He says, so that you may be filled to the full measure of the fullness of God. I love the way the Amplified Bible reads it. He says this, or the Amplified Bible says, so that you may have the richest experience of God's presence in your lives, completely filled and flooded with God himself. That's just rich, isn't it? When I was 24 years old, I was at my first church. I was a student pastor. It was my home church. Only about 100 people went to this church. I had about 15 students in my youth group. It was just a great, great first job. And one summer, we decided to take a mission trip. It was in Dallas. We were living in Dallas, Texas at the time. And so I was going to take this group of 15 students on a mission trip. And we looked at some different things, prayed through some different things, talked to some different people. And we decided the mission trip that we'd go on is take these 15 students to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, do some ministry there. And then I had the next task of how we're going to get there. I looked at renting a van. Do we take a bus? Do we fly? And I looked at taking the Amtrak train. Had never been on a train before. Didn't really know how it worked, but we looked at it. And we realized that was the best mode of transportation to get this group of 15 students and myself to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So I got on the phone and I called the Amtrak representative. I told her what's going on. And she said, yeah, we can get you there. Here's how it works. We have to take you up to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and then down to South Carolina. I'm like, okay. Now, I'm 24. I didn't really pay attention to geography, so I didn't even know what that meant on the map. So I said, sure, that sounds good to me. Let's do it. So she said this, and, and she said, there's only one problem. When you get to Philadelphia, you'll have to change trains. And she said, the problem there is there's only 45 minutes time in between changing trains. Again, I've never ridden a train before. I didn't know what was going on. But I'm like, well, that's okay. God's going to take care of us. Now, let me also explain what's going on in my life besides this, okay? I'm in seminary. I am learning theology. My mind is being filled full of just God's truth. Theology, scripture, Bible studies. I'm also doing a Bible study called Experiencing God. And the whole thing about this Bible study talks about living a life of faith, stepping out and trusting God. So my mind is full of just truth. My mind is full of knowledge, right? And so as we're planning this mission trip, and she said the only 45 minutes there, I thought, well, we're going to trust God. Okay? I mean, if God can create the world in seven days, surely he can stop a train for 15 minutes if we need to. So we're just going to give this thing a try. So we booked that flight. I'm also at the same time, we're raising money for this mission trip. None of these kids had the money to pay for it. And we realized it was going to take us $13,000 to get 15 plus me from here to there. So we started doing garage sales and we started doing bake sales and all this thing making money. We got to about a week before the trip and I went to count all of our money and we're going to need $13,000. We only had $10,000. And I thought, well, God, I got all this knowledge coming in. I'm trying to figure out this experience of trusting you. If you can take 15 minutes on the clock and give to us, you can give us $3,000 if we need it. So we just stepped out on faith, okay? So it's like going to be this glorious thing, knowledge and experience. We're trying to work it all together. I haven't really had the experience. I just got the knowledge of what experience might look like. Time to go for the mission trip. We get on the train. We leave Dallas, Texas. We get to Longview, Texas, which is about an hour and a half outside of Dallas, Texas. And the train breaks down. 
we sit on the train track for two hours for them trying to fix this train. I don't know how your math works, but we just took two hours and added to a trip that we only had 45 minutes to make our connecting train once we get to Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. But there's nothing we can do. So now I'm in this crux. I got these 15 students. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? All I can say is we just got to trust God. I got to be honest with you. I'm not sure I really believed it. I'm just spouting off all the knowledge that been put in my head from seminary at that point. We get to Pennsylvania. We get to Philadelphia. We get off the train. It is a madhouse. I never want to go to a train station. It was just crazy. So I have to go to the place where you like do your complaints and try to fix things. I go to a room that's about as large as this area of, of, of the stage here. I'm not the only one that missed a train. And let's just say this. I think I love Jesus more than they did because they were not happy people in that room. They were just cussing and griping and fussing. And move. It was terrible. And I step in there. You have to take a number. And I take my number. Finally, they call my number. And I walk up there. And I'm like, here's our situation. We have to be in Myrtle Beach tomorrow by 1 o'clock because we're doing this ministry. And if we get there late, it's, it's, it's not going to work. And the lady looked at me and she said, well, can you hang on a second? And she walked out of that room to a glass wall behind us. I could see her and she gets on the phone. She's in this beautifully peaceful, quiet, heavenly room by herself talking on the phone. She hangs up. She comes back out there, all the cussing devils out there, right? And I'm just sitting there going, God, take care of us. And she goes, could you come with me, please? She leads me to heaven behind the glass wall there. And she said this to me, I had to bring you back here because I couldn't let anybody else know what we're doing for you because we normally don't do this. She said, we're going to get your group to their ministry spot. Now, we can't get you on the train because it won't get there in time. So here's what we're going to do. Amtrak will pay for your hotel tonight to spend the night. And we have flights booked for you and your entire group tomorrow morning that we're going to fly you to Myrtle Beach. She goes, now, we'll pay for the hotel or she said, we'll pay for the, tr- the, the plane. She goes, but you're going to need money to pay for the hotel. Remember, we had saved, made 10000 and we were short 3000 She began to count out $100 bills. One, two, thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand, twenty-five hundred, twenty-six hundred, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine. Three thousand dollars. Here's three thousand dollars that you can use for the rest of your trip. If there's any left over, it's yours to use. Here's what happened to me at that moment. It was this moment in my journey with Jesus that all the knowledge that I was gaining from all the things I'd learned my whole life met the experience of Jesus. And I understood at that moment what it means to live in the fullness that Paul talks about right there. The fullness. When this knowledge comes together with this experience, that's where Jesus resides right there. And Paul's praying for the church of Ephesus, and it's my prayer for my life, but it's my prayer for this church that we would live in that moment right there. I don't want to live the rest of my life just on the stories of faith that I experienced 10 years ago. That would be the sad rest of my life together. I want to experience Jesus more fresh and new and real tomorrow as I did when I was 24 years old, living with those, student, those students and taking them on that mission trip. In South Sub Church, as we stand this moment on the surety of the moment, yet the unknown, this is my prayer for you as individuals, but as a church that we would experience that same faith journey. I I told a group earlier, that moment ruined my life. Do you know what ruined? My Texas may be getting away. You may not understand ruined, okay? Messed up my life. (laughs) Because once I tasted it, I couldn't go back. 
once I tasted what it meant to live daily, intimately, and experientially with Jesus. And not just only in that, because then it'd all be emotion, right? But to live in the truth that I find in Scripture, that is the guardrails for my experience. That is where Jesus is found. And that's what I pray for the church right here. Now, you may be asked the question, hang on a second, Keith, time out. I have a theological question to ask you then. Are you saying when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we don't get the fullness of God? We don't get all of God? Okay, let me clarify. Absolutely, I'm not saying that. The moment we accept Jesus in our heart, we get all of God. The problem is, we're just not ready to get all of God. And it's our own selfishness, it's our own pride, it's our own personal views and perspectives that sometimes keeps us from accessing all that He has to give us. In fact, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 says this, For in Christ the fullness of the deity, the fullness of Jesus, lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. So it's not about Him giving it all, it's just us taking it all. But it's not until we step into and experience Him personally and knowledge that we experience that fullness. Let me read it this way. It's only as we open our lives more to God that we are in a position to be more connected to everything He has already made available to us. A theologian, Max Anders, he, he, he wrote this, and it just it sums it up so well. He says, we all want to be filled up to the fullness of God. The only way it will happen is if we pursue Him. If we pray for Him to strengthen us with power by His Spirit in the inner man, Christ will be at home in each room of our heart. If Christ occupies our heart, we will have confidence and security in His love for us. If we have such confidence and security, we are able to love others. And this ability to know God's love and thus love others leads us to the fullness of God. His presence, His power, His love, His life inhabits us. We participate fully in His kingdom on earth. I'm going, I don't think I could put all those words together, but I like it and I want it. Okay? And not only do I want it for me, I want it for you as well. That's why this prayer has resonated so much in my life. And so as I think about these two prayers that Paul prayed, he prays for spiritual strength so that God gets all of us. And he prays for spiritual knowledge and strength so that we get all of God. I'm like, wow, just put an amen into that one, okay? That one preached, that one lives, let's go home. This has been a good day. But Paul didn't stop there. He put his own amen. In fact, I think he put like the icing on the cake of his prayer. Because here's what he wrote his last two verses there in Ephesians chapter 20 and 21. He says this, now... To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. You know what I want you to circle there? Immeasurably more. If we took some time right now and I passed the microphone around, I said, okay, kind of at this verge of just kind of the next chapter of South Sub Church, and what are your hopes? What are your expectations? What are your dreams for the church? What are your hopes and expectations and dreams, even in your own personal life as you follow Jesus? And everybody said what they wanted, and I said what I wanted. Here's what Paul is saying. You're only halfway there. Because whatever God has in store for you, for me, and this church is immeasurably more than we could ever imagine. Not immeasurably more that we can find the right words for. You don't even have the right words for what God has that He wants to give you and I through that relationship with Him. In March 6, 1912, there was an invention that captivated the world. 
It was an invention, not so much as machine, but it was a type of food that was to change every child's life and every adult's life from then until now. March 6th, 1912, the Oreo cookie was invented. Okay. <laughs> you may be a twister and lick the icing off. You may be a double dunker. You may be just let me have the whole thing. Or as one man shared in a group earlier, he would twist it, he would put it together and have a triple decker on his own. I don't know how you eat it, but the Oreo cookies my whole life, I'm like, it doesn't get much better than that. If mom gave me one, I ate it. If she wasn't looking, I still ate another one, okay? <laughs> Oreo cookies, I thought, it does not get much better than that. Until a few years ago, I found this at the grocery store. The fudge covered Oreo cookie, okay? <laughs> if you've never had a fudge Oreo covered cookie, you've not lived yet. Okay, I promise you, it will make the Oreo cookies seem like nothing. Fudge, they are so good, they only make them and, and put them out in the stores about two or three months around the Christmas time. If they were in the stores 12 months a year, you'd be voting for a very round pastor up on this stage. I promise you that. These things are amazing. Here, here's what I'm saying. They are, watch this, immeasurably more than I ever thought the Oreo cookie was. You with me, church? If we can get excited about these, we ought to be getting excited about the immeasurable more that God has for us. But Paul doesn't stop there just immeasurably more. He says this, immeasurably more, and then he says, to the glory in the church. To God be the glory in the church. What's going on today is not about me, it's not about you. It's about his bride. It's about his church. And I think of South Sub and all the unknowns I don't know. I don't have to worry about the unknowns because guess what? Even if I knew what the unknowns were, God has even more down the road than what I could ever imagine for this place right here. But the glory not goes to me, and it won't go to you. It goes to God. And sometimes, let's just be honest, as church members, regardless of what church you go to, we love our, so, our church so much we want to hang on to it tight, don't we? We want to protect the church. But sometimes I think God says, stop protecting so much and release it to me. Because I got more in store than you can ever imagine. To the glory of God, the church. And then he says this, to all generations. I look out the room right now. I'm a proud parent, grandparent of a two-year-old. Not a parent. Thank God, Dad. Not a parent. <laughs> a grandparent of a two-year-old. I dream of a church that my kids want to bring my grandchild to. So as we preach, as we teach Sunday school, as we shake hands, as we drink coffee, as we have Bible studies, it doesn't matter if you're 6 years old or 16 years old or 36 years old or six, six, 66 years old. Last service I said 86 and one man came and said, you left me out, I'm 94. So 96 years old. <laughs> That regardless of what generation that we are, that we will come together as one. Do you realize how kind of crazy it is for different generations to come together like this and try to be one? I mean, think of all the marketing out there. They don't market for this many people. They find a certain demographic and they market towards that. But God goes, I'm not like the world. That his presence comes in and he fills us so much that people from the outside have to look in going, I don't know what's going on in that church between the six-year-olds and the 96-year-olds, but I want some of that. To glory to God in what he does in 
and through us as we pray Paul's prayer over our lives. Church, may I pray for you now. Lord Jesus, you are good. And you are so faithful. You're faithful today, you were faithful yesterday, and you'll be faithful tomorrow. And so we rest in the things that we don't know. We rest in your goodness, God, and your faithfulness. And I pray right now for South Sub Church. I pray for every individual, God. I pray for myself that we would have the strength to give you all of our lives. That we would have the strength to have you dwell permanently in every closet, in every drawer, under every rug, every piece of our life, Jesus, that you would come in and dwell intimately with us. God, I also pray for the strength that we would know you both experientially and knowledge. That we would combine those, God, just so intimately that we would experience the fullness of you, Jesus. And so, um, God, you know us. We're sheep. Thank you for being our shepherd. And would you, Holy Shepherd, lead us to you. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen.